1: A man who called himself an avenging angel was in court today. 41-year-old Jason Vukovich is accused of violently assaulting men with a history of sexual offenses involving children. This is a prepaid collect call from Jason Vukovich, An incarcerated individual at Goose Creek Correctional Center to accept charges and consent this recorded call. Press 1. Vukovich is facing a host of charges, including robbery and assault. Police say he tracked his victims to their homes and attacked.
2: Have them. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. If this is your first time listening, well, firstly, welcome, and thank you for coming to check us out. Also, we have five previous fascinating cases available for you to binge right now. A vigilante. From the Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese word vigilante, which means sentinel or watcher, is a person who practices or partakes in vigilantism or undertakes public safety and retributive justice without commission. Today is part one of my chat with a man who could be described as a vigilante. He has been coined the Alaskan Avenger.
0: I am Jason Vukovic. Uh, and I am in prison at Goose Creek Correctional Center in Wasilla, Alaska, in the USA. And uh, I was convicted of attempted first-degree assault and first-degree robbery, Uh, and I'm serving a 23-year prison sentence uh, for those two crimes.
2: Jason is a man who does not claim to be innocent. In fact, far from it. He says he is 100% guilty of the crimes he was convicted of. The question we'll face over the next few episodes is, do we believe that justice was served in this case? Is a sentence of 23 years in prison for what Jason did, just? Now there are many factors to discuss, and we will touch on all of them as we move through this incredible story. The story of Jason Vukovic is set in Alaska, on the northwest extremity of North America. Alaska is the largest U.S. state by area, but the most sparsely populated state with a population of just over 700,000. Known for having the largest population of grizzly bears, utter darkness in winter, and temperatures as low as minus 35 degrees from November to March, it's definitely a wild place to live. And well, Jason certainly has the look of a man that was built for such an environment. A big guy who towers over many at the height of six foot two inches tall. Very well-built, strong-looking guy who is not short of a few tattoos. Looking at him in a photo, you'd be forgiven for describing him as intimidating. However, the man I've been speaking with over the last few days seems anything but.
0: Hello,
2: hello. Hello, Jason. Hey,
0: this is Jack.
2: It is, sir. How are you?
0: Hey, how you doing, buddy?
2: I'm very well, thank you, my friend. It's great to hear from you
0: amazing that these things can even take place with many oceans in between us i
2: know i mean i'm all the way in australia and i heard about your story sir and i went i need to talk to this man
0: i'll tell you this there is a uh, there is a special blessing of some type uh that goes out to those that remember uh those of us that are here in prison so i appreciate what you do it's a big deal
2: Jason's story is one that has somewhat gone viral online, or more so an image of Jason in court as he stands dressed in prison yellows and faces his older brother, a well-dressed, successful-looking guy who's got his hands on his hips looking straight at his younger brother. Jason has a smile from ear to ear. It's a very powerful image by itself. However, when it's found online, it's usually accompanied by the following words. Jason Vukovic the Alaskan Avenger, smiles at his brother after being sentenced to 28 years. Slight correction with these, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Vukovic used the local sex offenders registry to target his victims, assaulting and robbing them. Followed by these posts online are usually thousands of likes and comments calling for Jason's release and messages of support for the man who did a bit of vigilante justice. Comments like, that's the smile of a man who's staring at his brother saying, yeah, I got him. The truth behind this powerful image is actually incredibly sad and one we will discuss with Jason soon. Of course, I, like many, saw this image of Jason and I instantly knew I had to talk to this guy and find out his story. But Jason does have stipulations to our chat.
0: What I will tell you is this. Uh, that I am only interested in any sort of uh, publicity if it's wrapped with purpose. Yes. And so, you know, there's a few few things that I've encountered along the way um, that are very important and need to be addressed and changed some way, somehow, and perhaps I'll be part and parcel in changing those things along the way. So um, I, I'm just grateful for this opportunity. So.
2: so I made the same promise to Jason that I make to all the men and women that I speak with. This is your story to tell. You tell it, and I will put it out for people to hear. Now, let me state this as strongly as I possibly can. There is an extreme warning attached to this story. There will be many discussions regarding child abuse throughout this story. Mental, physical, and sexual abuse. Discussions that some people may find very upsetting. So as I say, this does come with an extreme warning attached to it. Jason's story is incredibly upsetting. But even more upsetting is how common it actually is, which is why we must talk about it. So like with all of our stories, we start at the beginning of Jason's life. And from the word go, he was brought up around extremes.
0: Okay, so I was born and raised in Alaska. Um, and I was, uh, I was born and raised into a family that were a missionary family. They were a church family. And, uh, so sometime around two or three years of age, uh, my natural father or my real father disappeared, person I have no memory of. Um, and then very soon thereafter, uh, I was adopted by one of the guys from the church. He married my mother and adopted us. And, uh, that is the person that I knew to be dad or father throughout the course of my life. But, uh, I was raised until I ran away from home when I was fifteen. i was I was raised up here in Alaska.
2: So what was it like growing up in the in that church environment?
0: Well, the, uh, well, it was a Christian church. This was a non-denominational Christian church, and uh, it was fundamentalist. So this was a large church as well. They had you know maybe a thousand members. Um so it was a pretty big congregation. Um, and our lives pretty much were centered around this church. So I went to Christian school. We were Sunday mornings, Sunday nights in church, Wednesday nights in church. There was Thursday night home fellowship, um, which was a church sort of meeting. Um, and basically, our entire lives were wrapped up in this church and the mythology of Christianity wholesale. Um, so that, that was pretty much what I knew. There was very little, quote-unquote, secular interaction uh, with the outside world at all. I was fairly boxed into this environment.
2: That's a, that's a hell of a lot of church.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of church, I'm telling you. And it's interesting because, you know, as an adult now, I've often reflected and commented to others and said, you know, it would have been a lot more beneficial if they would have had me in credit management class, personal hygiene school, Uh, investment school once a week and career selection and advancement class once a week. We would have done that instead of focusing on the invisible plane and mysterious beings and potential, you know, terrible repercussions, if I don't say the right word. I probably could have had a much better
2: life. Yeah, I mean that's it's a very interesting thing. Like as a um, I look, I'll, I'll tell you now that I am not a religious person at all. But I I went to a religi- yeah. religious school when I was younger, and um, yeah, it was just I, f- I found the whole thing a bit claustrophobic, and I was only going there. You know, my my parents certainly weren't religious, and you know, it was just a good school, educational wise. I found that time at school so claustrophobic. So to, to be growing up in that and have yeah. that every single day and in the evenings just must have been yeah. so intense.
0: Yeah. The thing I can tell you is this. Uh, again, as I've matured uh, and gained perspective on this world and studied all sorts of other spiritual paths and then further the creation and implementation of these spiritual paradigms, how they're, how they're implemented and created... Uh, one of the most difficult things I've done in my life um, was to shake off the spell of Christianity, that being raised and and constantly reminded and constantly brainwashed into focusing on the invisible plane and the creatures and beings that dwell there that allegedly communicate with you and all sorts of things like that, honestly, it is just a horrible thing to do to a young child growing up. Um, and I find that there is a much shorter and much more direct path to good moral conduct than that sort of brainwashing and forced mythology.
2: Yeah, so would you would you consider the church that you were involved in almost cult-like?
0: I would say, I would say now, in, in hindsight, now, and here's the crazy part, even now as an adult I feel a slight check in my consciousness even saying it. That's how deep yeah you know the sort of brainwashing goes um but 100% with no exception it is a cult um anything that involves a group of people imagining things together um and, and creating a world or a paradigm that they all live within together without any exception it is 100% a cult and i mean to the extreme where i have the limited recollections I do have of my childhood, because my brain has done a great job of deleting most memories from trauma. Um, like I remember attending a Wednesday night church service where the sermon was how to punish your children um, in such a fashion that creates the most pain with the least physical marks or bruising. Wow! Uh, and I remember them putting it, putting a projection up, a slide up on the screen in front of the church where he was. Demonstrating, diagramming to them that it's best to beat your child between the back of his knees and un- and the back of his buttocks, underneath his buttocks, that soft part of the leg, which creates the most pain and the least bruising. Oh
2: my god!
0: Um, that's a cult, bro. That's a cult. I'm just telling you. When they advocate and direct you on how to beat your children, uh, that's a cult.
2: Jason was being brought up in a religious cult. A cult with some extreme views on how children should be dealt with and raised within the home and if that extremism wasn't enough jason and his older brother were subjected to abhorrent abuse within their home at the hands of their stepfather when i asked jason if he felt okay with sharing his story of what went on behind closed doors this is what he had to say
0: yeah yeah i am and i and i'll tell you this with the with the caveat uh, that my willingness to do so is for this reason. It's because uh, there is an ocean of us out there in this world that have survived and experienced childhood sexual assault. And together we are way bigger than them, whoever the them is in your mind. The people that have created these uh, systems and these platforms that allow people to victimize kids or these systems that allow people who victimize kids to get freedom quickly and move on with their lives. Uh, Together, we are 10 times larger than any of them, any of the powers that put this uh, set of systems together. And so the way we find each other is by being able to speak out loud what happened to us. Other than that, we don't even know. You don't know you have a brother or a sister that is standing right beside you. Um, unless at some point you say it out loud. So that's, that's the reason for my willingness to speak on
2: it. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Jason talks us through the extensive abuse that he and his brother would face at the hands of his stepfather.
1: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: So yet again, I am going to warn you that what you're going to hear could be very upsetting for many people. So listener discretion, again, is strongly advised.
0: So I'm going to tell you this. Um, Again, what we've learned after the fact is that uh, the brain does a very, very good job of protecting you as you mature. And so for me, I have very, very few memories from about 12 years old back some traumatic memories but very, very few. It's as if my childhood from that age back was something of a blur. Um, so as pertains to uh, the abusive part uh, of my childhood, I will tell you this. Uh, I recall being adopted by this guy, Larry Fulton was his name. Um, and we started out, he was a uh, an operator for a telephone company, a supervisor. So he worked a swing shift which means he got home at midnight or so. Um, and as far back as I can recall, one of his his processes is he would come into my brother and I, uh, who shared a bedroom, he would come into our bedroom to, quote-unquote, pray for us. Um, and so I recall dreading um, these times of night, midnight, 1 o'clock, when he would fumble his way into the bedroom and he would go to my bed first or my brother's bed first um, and then he would pray for us and, and the sexual abuse started with him, uh, during his quiet muttering, sliding his hand down between your legs. Uh, and then it progressed into over the years, he would masturbate us. Um, and fortunately for us, uh, this sort of abuse was one-sided. He wanted to fondle us or masturbate us and things like that, um, and this would happen on a regular nightly basis for years. This transpired. Um, the other part of his process was part of this fundamentalist, hardcore Christian church. Um, they had advocated the rod of correction, okay, which is a very fancy way of saying go get a stick or a board and beat your children like they're a farm animals. Um, so in his case, he had uh, he had gone to his wood shop with his woodworking tools. And he had taken a two-by-four that was about three feet long, and he cut, used a jigsaw and cut a two-handed handle into one end, which he wrapped with electrical tape. And then he drilled holes in it throughout the whole length of it. And uh, He actually wrote this side up in black marker on one side of this thing. Um, And we progressed from sticks and twigs and belts, which is how we started out early on, To where I was 10 or 11 years old, he was beating us with a two-handed baseball grip with a two-by-four, custom-made two-by-four implement. Um, Oh, God. And these sort of beatings um, would go on. I mean, like I recall, uh, you know, he would have me put my knees up against the bed and pull my pants down. Um, And I recall him beating me to the point where I fell face down on the bed, and then I fell onto the floor Um, and he's still beating me the whole time. Um, I recall a number of times where I would be standing there at the dinner table with my mother telling me, sit down, sit down and eat your food. And I would tell her I can't sit. I cannot sit because I had welts up and down the backs of my legs. Um, I recall, you know, I was in soccer for some couple of years and I recall going to soccer practice and I have a distinct memory of the coach coming to the sideline and telling me that next week I needed to show a lot more hustle and run up and down the field better um, if I wanted to play. Um, and what he didn't realize was that I couldn't run. Um, my legs were so bruised and swollen that running was not even a possibility at that point. Um, so how how the two forms of abuse go hand in hand um, as far as the person executing the abuse, I can't understand or explain to you. Um, But how it affects the mind of a child, I can tell you. You feel invisible, you feel worthless. It causes you to question every other adult or authority figure in your world. Um, I remember going to school and looking at the male teacher and wondering, is he going to try to touch me? I wonder if he touches his kids at night. Um, Pretty much every interaction with any male adult from that point forward uh, was compromised um, with what this person had done to my brother and I had put in my mind.
2: Did no one, did Did no one outside of your home notice the bruising or, you know, anything like that or question it at any stage or ask what was going on?
0: You know, what's interesting about that is here you are, uh, here I am in a, in a church congregation of a thousand people. Um, and I recall, uh, not being allowed to go spend the night because I was too bruised or beaten at that time. And the people I was going to spend the night with never asked, never questioned. Um, I remember, you know, standing in a grocery store and looking up next to me at the person in line and just pleading with them in my mind that they would please see what was happening to me and ask or say something. And that never occurred. Um, one time, in fact, I went to summer camp for three days. And I did not want to go home so desperately that at the end of summer camp, I got in one of their little canoes and I rowed it out into the middle of the lake. And I sat there and wouldn't come into shore. Um, and they thought I was a runaway and they were all looking for me desperately. And then they found me, um, and forced me to row in and there was my disapproving stepfather standing there waiting me. And again, no one asked, no one said anything. Um, And that's something that is broken in our society that needs to be repaired because there has to be a method or a mechanism or an avenue for a child to notify someone who does care that something is happening to them in the home.
2: Of course, I could not agree more with what Jason is saying here. We, these days, very much live in a closed society. People witnessing things that they know are wrong but choosing to turn away. Keeping their head down, pretending like they haven't seen anything. Not wanting to get involved because, well, it's none of their business. Now, I am by no means suggesting that we need more vigilantes out there attacking people they perceive as doing the wrong thing. It's more so challenging something if it doesn't seem right to you. Trust your instincts. If you honestly believe, especially a small child, is in some form of danger because of their surroundings, we must speak up. We must protect the future generations of this world because if we don't, nothing will ever change and stories like Jason's will continue. Jason then talks me through his relationship with the man in the viral image of him in court, his brother.
0: So my my brother Joel is three years older than I am and uh, I will just give you a brief rundown on this relationship number one that was my absolute best friend and i idolized him and he picked on me and roughed me up mercilessly my whole childhood that i can remember i mean every sort of rough and tumble thing an older brother could do to a younger brother he did it um but i loved him intensely um and sadly uh, when he was 15 and i was 12 Um, he couldn't take the abuse in the household anymore, and he climbed out the window, stole my mom's car, and took off with his girlfriend.
2: This abuse that Jason and his brother suffered would continue on being unchallenged for many years until, eventually, as Jason states, his older brother, now 15, decides to run away, which, as you can imagine, was devastating for Jason.
0: Yeah, it was horrible. I was devastated. Um, And, I mean, further further than that, it was like uh, we kept the secret in solidarity together we were surviving something together Um, and then without him they were able to like they were able to separate me from my partner or my backbone Um, and so fairly quickly after he ran away from home I think he stole my mom's car from outside of her work and picked up his girlfriend and they got stuck in a snowbank and the police came And then when the police came, he told them, absolutely do not take me back home. Here's what's happening. We're being beat. My brother and I are being molested. He gave the police the whole story. Well, they placed him in a series of foster homes um, after that. Um, And then, of course, I had been separated off from him. So then I I was the focus of the internal side of this whole thing, with Larry Fulton being charged with second-degree abuse of a minor, Uh, and other things, Um, and yeah, it was awful. My life changed forever, it was absolutely awful.
2: So although Jason's stepfather has now been charged with this abuse, he is not removed from the home in which his abuser is, and in fact, while at court, Jason's mother and his father's attorney, paid for by the church, tried to coach Jason as to what he should be saying.
0: You know, the church supplied him with the attorney Uh, that represented him for his court situation and I mean that's something else entirely being eight or nine or ten years old and be standing in a in a courthouse in a back interview room and you have the attorney from the church and your mother uh, and they're telling you things like uh, he has repented and you need to forgive him uh, and he's you know he's the head of the household and and you need to respect your father and, and stuff like that and It's just a very complicated and horrible thing to do to a child, especially when right out the gate, uh, imagine being a man and the first time you ever had an orgasm was at the hands of your stepfather. Right off top, imagine the complications that it introduces into a child's mind. And then you have this whole surrounding church tribunal. Um, and basically all of them. I remember them hauling my brother and I into the church and the pastor telling us that, you know, your father was just curious uh, and he's repented and you need to respect him and and et cetera, et cetera, and so forth and so on. Um, So this church, Abbot Luke Christian Center, they played part and parcel in number one, the child abuser staying in the household, and number two, uh, the covering of his, you know, sexual deviancy and abuse.
2: So Jason's abuser is finally found guilty in a court of law. Guilty for the charge of abuse against his stepchildren. And what sentence does that evil human being get? A three-year suspended sentence. Suspended sentence, meaning no jail time to serve whatsoever. And if that's not bad enough, he returns home to where Jason is living.
0: Even when he was convicted and the whole world knew what he had been doing, they sent him right back to the home, and he was in our living room, in our house, the very next day.
2: After he'd been convicted?
0: Yeah, after he was convicted. And in fact, in fact they packed the family up and moved us to a different branch of the same church about 30 miles, 35 miles away.
2: So they were protecting him?
0: For sure, 100%. Um, and then soon after he was convicted... And received his sentence. Like within three or four months, they moved us, uprooted us, 40 miles away to this smaller version of this same church. Um, and so I was taken away from any friends or support system I might have had, and was put off by myself. And when we got out there, uh, they put me in homeschool. So I wasn't even in a regular school around other children anymore. I was isolated in the home.
2: But how does the how does the court, Jason? How does the court convict? a man who is an abhorrent human being, he's sexually abusing two young men, and it's been, he's been convicted. He's not going to jail. He's been convicted, though. How do they allow you to remain in the care of that man?
0: I agree. No, how, I do, mean, how does that happen? It is I just agree.
2: insanity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. And, I mean, this is, this is kind of, again, part and parcel with... with- me telling my experience and it needing to have purpose wrapped with it. Uh, there is legislatively, there are things that need to change. Um, and I, I realize they say that they are taking child abuse and sexual molestation more seriously over the years. Um, but, I mean, I can tell you, and you can vet vet my words on this, the same month, same month I was sentenced to 23 years for assaulting three pedophiles, um, a school teacher in alaska was sentenced to six years in prison for sexually assaulting three students so that's that's the correlation um, and the thing is too i am a simple is genius sort of person i am a simple man um, and it's not hard to figure out what a system is built for if you just look at what comes out the end of it that's the simplest way to figure it out Um, And when I look at the sentences that are being handed out, it is very, very easy for me to determine these uh, courts were designed uh, by people who don't care for children. They think they're a commodity, Um, and I can tell by what comes out the end. Because literally, very plainly, in plain English, just as the judge said when he sentenced me, they wanted to send a message.
1: You have one minute left.
0: The message the court sent to me and to others that month was... If you want to come to the state of Alaska and assault children, not that big a deal. But if you dare come here and assault the people that sexually assault children, we're going to bury you under the building. That is literally, in plain English, the message that they're sending. You can fuck with kids, but you cannot mess with the people that target children.
2: The question I had in all of this was, what about Jason's mother? She finds out that the man she married, the man that adopted her children, was in fact abusing them physically and sexually. Here's Jason on that.
0: It's just bizarre to me and it's sad because I had two step, I had a stepbrother and a stepsister, sister um, and they stayed in the home with him. My mother stayed with him up until the day he died. Imagine that now, a mom who her the person she marries is convicted and she knows full well that he is beating us like farm animals regularly. Um, And who knows about the sexual abuse aspect of it until he was convicted in court. So she knew with no exception that he was a child molester as well. And she allowed this pervert to raise their two children and the grandkids and everyone else that came around long after my brother and i ran away from home um it's just it's amazing to me um and again that behavior from her, I believe, to be a byproduct of the cult that she was involved in because she would say things, religious sound bites like, you know, a wife needs to be subservient to her husband or respect her husband or whatever. Mm. Uh, God hates divorce. Things like that is, is the type of, uh, excuse my language, but bullshit that yeah. she would say.
2: Yeah. Would it be fair to say that you still hold resentfulness towards your mother in this situation as well?
0: Well, so yeah, unequivocally, sure. Um, so number one, I have never spoken to her in 20. I would say 20 years. Mm. Um, and when I when I had this case for assaulting pedophiles uh, in the same state where my abuse took place, uh, my attorney reached out to her and said, you know, we would it would be helpful if we could get pictures of him as a child, uh, you know, things like that. Letter from you about his childhood. She was non-responsive would not help her participate. Um, I personally didn't wish nor would I ever want to reach out to her. Um, but I will tell you this, again, how this world, how this universe works, it's very strange. Uh, I was probably a year and a half after being charged with these crimes, sitting in pre-trial the county jail, and uh, one night, late at night, I hear this noise, and it's a letter coming under my door. Um, and it's from her. And I can't remember specifically what it said, but it was one page, and it basically um, um, basically mentioned that your stepfather is dead. He died, um, and he left you a note or a letter of some type. If you would like, to, if you would like me to uh, send it to you, I have it here for you. That was basically uh, what the letter said. Um, and I recall, I think I wrote back, you know, and I told her, uh, absolutely not, I have no interest whatsoever in the letter. Uh, and again, I, I asked her, which I probably have five times throughout the course of my adult life, so please explain to me why you stayed with a convicted child abuser who abused your sons uh, this whole way. Like, what are you thinking? What is the matter with you? What is the matter with us? Um, and she would never even apologize for that. It's just bizarre.
2: Yeah, I mean, even to write to you to let you know that he had passed away and that there was a letter there for him shows that there's obviously some... Exactly. As you said, there's some brainwashing there and there's just something just not quite clicking because it's that's not something a normal person I don't think would do, would send her her son a letter that his abuser is dead and he's got a letter for him. Would he like it?
0: For sure. And I mean, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work, uh, but I will tell you this. Uh, I recall mentioning in the response back... Um, that, you know, no, I didn't want to see the letter, and that my only regret was that I was not in the room to watch him take his last breath. Um, and, and I will also tell you, um, experientially, when I read those words that he was dead, she actually gave me a gift that was, that was probably beyond what she even dreamed because, bro, there was a lightness and a weight that mm. came off my shoulders. yeah, And I was so relieved and so... It was so visceral and real that this person was not sucking air on this planet anymore. Mm. Um, That It was profound.
1: You have one minute remaining.
2: And that wraps us up for this episode. An episode I think we can all agree is extremely intense and emotional. Coming up in our next episode... Jason finally has enough of the abuse he's received at the hands of his stepfather and decides to run away from home. At the age of just 16, he eventually would turn to a life of crime in order to feed himself.
0: That was that moment um, where I became a thief and a liar and I remember driving away from that encounter and, and thinking to myself, we have to eat.
2: And long before he became known as the Alaskan Avenger, he was already on a path to protecting the vulnerable.
0: And at this time, uh, there was a guy named Richard Butler who had a large Aryan compound. It had a big barbed wire fence around the outside, guard towers, all that type of stuff. And uh, I slid to a stop outside this compound that I had never been to, um, headlights illuminating uh, a young 15-year-old girl, and uh, she was standing there trying to escape.
2: Next time, on One Minute Remaining... One minute remaining is a mash pumpkin production hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the ACAST creator network.